I also want to encourage you on, on your way out, there's that chalkboard wall. Feel free. All right, it's not graffiti. Some kid didn't bust in. But we'd love for you to grab a piece of chalk and define what Jesus means to you in your relationship. We're, we're in the middle uh, of a seven-week series. Today's week four of us as a church looking at the way in which Jesus uh, chose to define himself. Not how um, politicians or musicians or poets or or activists define Jesus, but we're letting the man, as best as we can, uh, as, as a flawed, you know, preacher, uh, we're going to allow Jesus to speak for himself, let, let him serve up the meal of how he wants to define himself, and it's us, up to us if we want to uh, experience that. Because the big idea that we're saying every week for the series is, our hope and desire is that we would take Jesus off the shelf and put him into our lives, meaning shifting Jesus from an intellectual, religious uh, historical figure concept to where like we're actually considering Jesus in how we parent, how we deal with our finances, how we do relationships, how we love people, how we forgive people, even to how we set a healthy boundaries for us. That that Jesus would not just be an idea, but he would be a transformational power in our lives. I want to talk to you about one of my favorite experiences uh, growing up until we get to the, the statement that Jesus makes today. Uh, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, the birthplace of baseball, the greatest sport ever. You're welcome. Uh, Cincinnati was the first major league team. Uh, my dad, uh, and we hosted the first night game, my dad caught the beauty of the Reds in the 70s, the big red machine, uh, you know, Rose and Bench and Joe Morgan. We won't talk about what happened in the 1974 World Series. You can Google it. Um, because I don't want to get attacked. After here, we beat the Red Sox. I'll just say that. Uh, but that's all I'll say. Um, and uh, I loved going to uh, Riverfront Stadium at the time. Now it's Great American Ballpark. My dad worked for ADT Security Systems, and he would get uh, about three tickets every year for work. My birthday's on 9-11, uh, oddly enough. But we would always go the first or second week of September. And um, I, I was always confused because it was always the Reds and the Pirates. I was like, is there any other team in Major League Baseball. And Paul O'Neill, the right fielder, quickly became my favorite player because that's all I could see until I discovered uh, Barry Larkin, who's my favorite Reds ever. Uh, and I do remember the 1990 World Series where we swept the A's for nothing. It was beautiful because my mom let me stay up to watch all the way to the ninth inning. Uh, I'll never forget walking through the turnstiles of Riverfront Stadium, handing the gentleman my ticket. This is before, you know, super technology and everything was scanned. And being yelled at by my dad to slow down, I wasn't going to listen. I, I ran to the, to the uh, beginning of the seats. I'll never forget taking in the depth and the breadth of a major league field. It was, it was magical. If I asked you this week if we had coffee, uh, what is one day that you would love to relive from your childhood? What day would that, would that be? See, our memories tie us emotionally back to certain places certain people that uh, we, we are often hopefully fond of. Hopefully these are, are good memories. And everybody has a moment that if they could relive, they would do that. Because doorways and uh, turnstiles and gates um, all lead to different experiences uh, in our journey. One of my favorite baseball quotes is by a writer uh, who said this, this is a game to be savored, not gulped. There's a time to discuss everything between pitches in between innings. If you think baseball is boring, you're boring, okay? Uh, I love baseball because it was an opportunity for me to connect with my dad and my brother. It was an opportunity that guys could just 
be guys and hang out. And I, I always said, jokingly but kind of seriously, if you want better men, build more baseball fields in your town. It was just a great experience for me uh, growing up as a kid. Jesus knew that our experiences connect us with our memories for people, places, and things. And, and so Jesus comes on the scene and makes a weird, it's, it's a weird claim. Uh, last week was a pretty heavy statement where he says, I am that I am, ego I me. The name that the Jews used for God, Yahweh, Jesus says, that's my title. Which, if you remember, the Jewish leaders picked up rocks to stone him because nobody would have the audacity to call himself God, let alone even speak the word of God, because that's how much the Lord was revered in the Jewish pe- uh, uh, in, among the Jewish people. And she says, nope, that's, that's my title. And today he says something very interesting and very odd. He says this in John 10, 7, I am the door. Now you know why Jesus was single his whole life, right? Like, can you imagine Jesus at a party at a Jewish festival? Uh, my Jewish friends are celebrating uh, Yom Kippur at the end of September. Uh, we call that the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, I believe. Imagine Jesus at a party saying, hey, my name's Jesus. I'm the door. Because they're like, what? I know, it's arrogant. It's a, it's a definite article. I do remember English. But I'm not just a door. I'm the door, right? You're like, what are you, what are you even talking about because Jesus understood that doorways, turnstiles, gates are all entry points into things that we experience in our lives. So let's stop being confusing here, Ben, and, and let's explore the statement in the context of John 10. In John 10, 1 through 10, John records this. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, the, the Jewish reli- religious leaders of Jesus's day. He says, very truly, I tell you, remember, this is like your mom saying, hey, Listen, listen to me, all right? I have something important to tell you. There are, there are good things to remember, right, as a child. Then there are ultimate things to remember because it, like, keeps you alive with your parents, right? And this, Jesus is saying this is an ultimate thing to remember and know. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was saying. Therefore, Jesus said again, listen, pay attention. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate or I am the door, depending on your translation. Same thing. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep, the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will, they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, this concept of thief could mean the devil, but it also could mean the religious leaders. I mean, Jesus was not very PC. He just kind of called it like it was. Jesus knew that there is a way to experience God. I want to give you three thoughts about doors, okay? Number one is that doors are entry points into our experiences. Jesus knew that there is a religious system of how to properly approach God. And I mentioned this earlier with, with Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. It was only designated for him. And he was to offer a sacrifice 
among the sins of the Israelite nation. That's not really a Western idea. We think sin is just individualistic, but sin is also communal. Stanley Grins once said that sin is the lack of, loss of, and destruction of community. A great way to destroy a church is to let sin run wild. Basically, what the Hebrews understood is that our lives are interwoven and they affect people that are sitting here across the room. And even in our first service, that, that sin is actually communal. Even though there's individual penalties or, or ramifications, ultimately affects a church's body uh, as a whole. And so Jesus says, wait, wait a minute. I, I, I'm, the, I'm the door. I'm the entry point to experiencing life and God. Jesus basically just said that I'm greater than any priest. I'm greater than any high priest. I'm greater than any prophet. I'm greater than any religious leader or teacher. If you want to experience God, the way through to experience life in God is only uh, through me. That's like a fat guy in a little coat statement, right? That, that's very narrow. But truth by definition, I think if we were honest, even though we may not like the statement, I think truth by definition, like truth has to be, has to be narrow. And, and we live in a culture even today where, in, even in Rome, the, 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 there's this idea that there are many, many ways to heaven, many ways to God. And Jesus says, well, th there might be, but the only pure, true way to experience life in God is through me. Every other religion, every other teacher, every other follower, that's, I mean, th that's a path. You're going to end up somewhere, but it's not what I have in mind for you. It's not how I created you. It's not how I wired you. In one short, weird statement, I am the door, Jesus basically tumbles all of Judaism in their approach to experiencing God. I if I'm the door, you don't need a high priest. You don't need to have someone go on behalf of you for your sin. I I'm going to do that. Just wait. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to do that. And I'm not only going to be the God that goes on behalf of a people for their sin, but I'm also going to be the God that sits on the seat of mercy and also forgives people of their sin. I, I am the door. I am the way, the only way to experience true life in God. Let me ask you a, uh, a personal pastoral question. It's a question I like to ask people when I can remember uh, time and time when we're having coffee. And if I ask you this question, you have permission to throw it back on me, all right? Because I need to be encouraged and challenged as well. He here's the question. How are you experiencing Jesus lately? How are you experiencing Jesus lately? Well, it's, it's okay. You can participate. I want you to think about how can you how are you experiencing Jesus lately? I, I think we live at, at breakneck speed at the altar of our schedules. And I'm, I'm guilty of this too, right? And uh, I, I wonder if, as we're journeying through this life, and if Jesus is the doorway and the entry point to experience life in God, I, I wonder how often do we in our lives say, Jesus, do I, do I the fall scene is, is coming, my, my, my calendar is stacked, what, what do I have permission to experience? Am, am I saying yes to too many things? Am I saying no to too many things? It, it, it's, a good, it's a good question. It's, it's a good heart check question. That, that Jesus is not just an intellectual idea to cognitively understand, but he's a relationship to be experienced. When my wife and I lived in uh, Colorado 
we would always go up to Estes Park in the Rocky Mountains. Great way to experience God. Uh, and I quickly understood why the, the writers of Psalms would always, always put God high on a mountain. Because the higher we got, the elevation, the cooler it got, the, the wind would dance across your face. And it was absolute silence. It was pure bliss. We do it every Black Friday. I love Black Friday in Colorado. We just avoided all the crazy people, took Bob, my wife, and we went up into the mountains and just spent some time with God and spent some time with each other. My wife uh, basically grew up getting dropped off at church. And uh, I, I think the pastors and the preachers in her life meant well, but they would say things like, the only way or the primary way to experience God is like your quiet time. You have to read the Bible. And reading the Bible is good. Don't get me wrong. I have two degrees and a lot of student loan debt to, to prove that, okay? <laughs> reading the Bible is good. But the Bible is not about us. It's about Jesus. And the, the Bible is for us. But, but so often in our Western black and white thinking, like engineers, and if you're an engineer, no offense, uh, we think that like there's, th there has to be measurable ways to experience God. And so my wife's an artist. She's okay with things like jazz music and things not resolving and things not being nice and neat because that, that's, that's what art does. Art takes the, the things in our lives that we can't put words to and then creates an experience and go, oh, it's, it's like that. The kingdom of God is like, it's like a poetic grunt. It's like this, it's like that. And so finally, before I met my wife, a couple months before I met her, uh, she went to a, a great church in Cincinnati, and the pastor said, here's the deal. Like, like if, you're, if you're an artist, and she's like, what? what? Oh, okay. Like, you're actually talking about it. This is great. If you're an artist, and you're reading scripture, instead of just reading it, why don't you paint a verse? If you're a sculptor, why don't you create something that represents the verse? If you're a runner, why don't you uh, put on uh, scripture or worship music as you're running through the forest? And for the first time, and it sounds so simple, right? But it transformed the way my wife thinks about God. That's important to me as a husband, as, as I lead my family. So if it meant that much to her, I think it might be a gift for some of you to hear that. And it, and it took her relationship with the Lord to a whole nother level in a whole nother space. It's good to ask us from time to time, how are we experiencing Jesus if Jesus actually is the entry point to life uh, in God. He, he says in Revelation, Jesus does, I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, but you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. Don't you love that? Like, man, I don't know about you, but some of us in this room are just, we're just tired. We're just tired, overcommitting. Um, some of us, you know, overcommitting, underdeveloped hearts. Like, we're, we're all growing, right? We're all growing. Some of, and Jesus, I see, I see what you're doing. And, and the door is still open. I still want to connect with you. You've not forgotten my word. You've remained faithful. I still want to connect with you. He even says in Revelation 4.1, after, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. I will show you what must take place after this. Can you imagine, can you imagine, right, like following Jesus your whole life? Now, I, I've not died yet, I don't think. And, and you, get, you get to heaven, however that works, and you hear Jesus say, hey, come here. Th there's, more, there's more here than I, I want to show you. 
Jesus is a relationship to experience, not a concept to agree to, right? Yes, we agree that Jesus is God and all that stuff. That, that's great and that, that's necessary. But, but he really wants to have a relationship with you. Like he cares about spending time with you at your favorite park or hiking or at, you know, if you love going to Fenway Park or what, like, like don't minimize those things. Like, they, they can, like really? He wants me, he wants to be with me here? This seems so trivial. And yet that's what he wants. He wants to be with us. And even at the end of our lives, he says, hey, there's, there's more. You're going to get a kick out of this. There is so much that Jesus has for us. Uh, if, we just, if we just say, Lord, I want to experience you in this season, however crazy it is, however convoluted or complex it is, I want to say yes to you. If you are opening your door to me, I want to open my door and my life to you. Not only are doors our entry points to life in God, but doors are also for our protection. Now, we don't think about this because I think everybody has a door in our homes. If not, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go to Walmart and I'll, I'll hook you up. We'll get you a tarp and then we'll pay someone to you know, get you a door. But, but in Malawi, uh, where my lead pastor, uh, Jim Powell, was, we had a mission there. Uh, doors were not common. And he came back from one of his trips and he said, you would not imagine the lengths that people go to work to, 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 um, to receive money to buy materials for a door. Because in Malawi, if you had a door, you were, you were high on the hog. You, you were able to keep out insects and bugs and snakes and animals and even people that wanted harm for you to protect you uh, from your enemies. Uh, but, but for us, it's like, what? I don't, that doesn't connect. But this is a part of the sermon that um, is really hard for people emotionally. It was really cool to watch the spirit move as I was uh, talking in the last service. Because Jesus, what, what I'm telling you is that Jesus is the entry point to life in God. And then what I just told you is that Jesus is your protection. But, but I also said before that, that memories have a way of connecting us emotionally to our past. And some of us have great memories. And some of us have really traumatic memories. All of us have both. And for you to hear a preacher say that Jesus is your protection, like, probably might be a deal breaker for you. Like, you might be okay with Jesus being God and that intellectual, collegiate approach to God, the academic approach to God. But, but, but the personal aspect, where, where if we get our heads out of the clouds and, and, and put our hearts on the ground, and you hear a preacher say that Jesus is your protection, that's, that's a little crock for some of us. Because some of us have been abused. Some of us have been taken advantage of. Some of us have, have, have trusted deeply and have been burned greatly. I'm going to tell you a story that's very personal to me. It, it is going to be heavy, but I believe the, the spirit will move as he did in the first uh, gathering. I've been in ministry for 15 years. Ten of it was with uh, students. The other, the last five have been with big students, big, big adults. And uh, one of the core themes that it breaks my heart is you hear story and it's time after time again, story after story of pe people being taken advantage of by people that should not have taken advantage of them. One story in particular struck me really, really hard, at, really at the heart of the matter and the core of who my being. Um, at a, at a, we'll try and get through this without crying. You know, they say the bigger they are, the harder they cry. Uh, uh, several years ago, a friend of mine told me the story that uh, they, she grew up in a very, very conservative, like more conservative than Jesus 
if Jesus is conservative. Uh, like the women had to wear their dress, their hair the same way, uh, uh, the same length. They had to put on the same dress, the same boots. It was very, it was a male, like heavy-handed male dominant leadership. And um, this is the kind of the church experience she grew up in. And uh, she uh, befriended an older gentleman a few years younger than her. She was a, she was a minor at the time. And uh, ch- church has a way of being very trusting of, of people, you know. It, it's almost like we feel guilty or bad if we say, if we say no. But, but boundaries are, are, like Jesus said no to people who would later die because they were sick. Uh, it, it's healthy to have healthy boundaries. You know, as James says, let your yes be yes and your, your no be no. And if people respond immaturely, that's, on, that's not on you. That's on them. That, that, that's for their own journey. So anyways, uh, back to the story. Uh, there is this gentleman, gentleman who was trusted among the elders, the leadership, the staff, been there his whole life, had a good political comb over, uh, you know, upstanding citizen, you know, uh, button-up shirt, tuck it in, khaki pants, the whole, you know, guy you'd like, you know, your daughter to date sort of a thing. And he, and he uh, offered to take her home after, like, youth group or school. I don't really remember. And so this happened for weeks and, and, and months until one day he said, uh, hey, I need to make a phone call. Can I go inside your house and make a call? Her parents were home. She didn't feel very, um, she didn't feel very comfortable doing it. Uh, but it's church. Like, I know this person. Uh, they're my friend. Uh, I can trust them. And, and she said, okay. So she, she walked him inside the house, and he took her upstairs and uh, sexually uh, assaulted her. Uh, heartbroken, uh, devastated, uh, guilt-driven. She didn't know what to do uh, when her parents came home. She told her parents everything. Um, men, you can feel the, I can feel you feeling the anger. Right, that, that that that's a right emotion. Anger is is healthy. It tells us that something's wrong, <clears throat> and so they call. Um, and I don't know if they ever called the officials, which was interesting. But they called the church leaders and said, "Hey, we need to have a meeting. Um, there's there's some heavy allegations here," and so they they have the meeting with the elders, the staff, and this uh, this guy uh, with uh, my friend and her parents. And so she tells the story as she remembers it and she recalls. And the leaders uh, asked him, "So you you know what's your side of the story and uh, he said um, <clears throat> he said that uh, the way she, her body language was expressing herself to him made me realize or think that she wanted it that she was actually flirting with me and so I did what I thought she wanted and th- the leadership sided with the guy You want me to tell her that Jesus is her protection? Here's the reality of what happens, friends. When the shepherd goes into town for the night, he takes his sheep and puts them in the sheep pen. And there's a teenager, 10, 15 years old, whatever, uh, that's in the town that the shepherd would pay 20, 40, 50 bucks, whatever the going rate is, to watch the sheep so the shepherd can go in the house, get something to eat, shower, get a good night's rest before... He moves on. The point of the hired hand, listen to this, lean in please, is to guard the sheep. Because in the middle of the night, a wolf could come, an enemy could come, other shepherds could come, somebody that wanted to harm the sheep could come and you know slaughter the, the sheep and, and, and create wool, which is like one of the drivers of the economy in the first century. There's multiple things that could happen. But let me ask you a question. You guys are pretty perceptive here. 
you pay a teenager 50 bucks to watch sheep and some wolf comes over the top of the mountain, what do you think that teenager is going to do? They're going to run. Why? Because the hired hand is not as invested in the sheep as the shepherd is. You rent out your house to someone you don't know yet. They ended up trashing it. Why? Because the renters are not interested in the house as much as the owners are. Here's what I'm trying to say, friends. There are healthy, there are people in your life that should have been healthy, that should have been for you, that should have had your best interest at heart. And when danger came your way, they did not protect you. They ran. And it's so easy, and, and if you've done this, it's okay. It's so easy for us as humans and followers of Jesus and even not followers of Jesus. It actually, it's a big proponent for my friends that are atheists, the problem of pain and the problem of evil. It's not an intellectual thing. It's an emotional thing. But the, 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 the issue is in our pain is that we throw that on the shepherd. When actually what was happening is that the hired hand had no interest in us. That clean-cut, conservative you know, comb over haircut, the button up shirt, the khaki pants that allegedly this good Christian boy had was all a facade. He was a, he was a wolf in sheep skin. And he took advantage of my friend. And there, there's been relationships in your life where you wanted your marriage to get healthy. You don't know why your kid is the spawn of Satan. Uh, other people in your life that should have been for your good. And they dropped the ball when the enemy came running. This will not be a place where wolves can roam around and push their agenda. This will be a place, as long as I'm the lead minister, where people hopefully can find this place to be a safe place, to find rest, and to explore who Jesus actually is. And I want to encourage you. There's a, there's a, I'm gonna, I said this in the first service. There, there's a grieving process in Judaism called sitting shiva, Jesus would do this, that when somebody loses somebody, they would go to their house, and Shiva is seven in Hebrew, they would literally sit in the living room with the person grieving for seven days, and they would not say a word. They would not go on Facebook and say, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, positive vibes. No, they would honor the humanity of that person, and they would physically go to their house, and they would sit and say nothing until the person grieving had something they wanted to express. L let me tell you something. Please hear me. And if you, if you don't believe me, that's fine. Just, just at least hear me. It is not Jesus' desire for his sheep to be taken advantage of, to be abused, and to be neglected. And Jesus sits in your pain and weeps with you. And I don't know why I like free will, but I also hate it. <laughs> I don't know why that unhealthy people have access to our lives, but we're all broken, and they do. And so often what we do in our, in our relationship with Jesus is that when all this pain happens, and look, we need a anger, wrath, it needs a target. I get it. I get it. But we throw it on Jesus when we should throw it on, on the hired hand who had no interest in us. And we say, Jesus, you're right, which is next week. I need you guys to come back. We're talking about I am the good shepherd next week. He said, Jesus, I, if you're my shepherd, if you're my pastor, Jesus, 
help me through this situation. I, I, I see a lot of tears in this room right now. And, and I just want to tell you, I'm, I'm going to go over today, but I just want to tell you that, that I see you and that your tears are not shed in vain because this is going to be a safe place for people to find and follow Christ. And I want to tell you, whether it was last week or when you were 10 or 12 years old, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that the people that should have been healthy in your life took advantage of you. <sighs> okay. Not only are doors our entry points to experiencing life in God, doors are for our protection. But thirdly and finally, doors are for our freedom. Some of you don't believe this. And that's okay, but some of you don't believe this because of the emotional pain that has paralyzed your soul through whatever memory, traumatic or not, that, that has kept you hidden from life in God. And, and I just want to share a beautiful verse with you before I pray and close out of Romans 5, 1 through 2. Paul, this is in the message, which is like a paraphrase. It's a, the message, by the way, is a great uh, Bible version or whatever to read before um, for your devotional. So if you're new to the Bible, the message would be a great way to kind of read the Bible if you feel overwhelmed by it. Anyways, Paul says this, by entering through faith into what has always, what God has always wanted to do for us. Man, you imagine your heavenly father, right? When your kids started to walk and started to talk and you're sitting on the couch and you're waiting for them to engage you. This is exactly what Paul is saying. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, which is what? What, is God, what has God always wanted to do? What is the purpose of God's existence? To set us right with Jesus, making us fit for him. We have it all together with God because our master, Jesus, that, that, that God has always had his doors wide open for us and that we would <clears throat> actually take that first step of courage through the doors that Jesus claims to be through the entry point of life in God and find out that Jesus has always been safe. Jesus has always been a loving God. <clears throat> Jesus has always been for us and willing to walk with us. It, it, Paul says if we would just take that first step into experiencing life in God, and yes, I'm talking to you Christians who've been Christians longer than Jesus has been alive. Think about it. Because I know a lot of Christians that aren't at peace because they've not walked through this door that Jesus claims to be. He goes on to say this. That's not all. This, this, oh my, this, this is it, man. This is great. He says, that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment in our depression, in our pain, in our anxiety, in the things that are holding us back from full life in God, at that same moment that he has already, God has already thrown open his doors to us, we find ourselves standing where we had always hoped that we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall, shouting praise. That the thing that terrifies us the most of getting off the couch, so to speak, taking that first step, wondering, is, <clears throat> is God really that good? Or is the preacher supposed to say it because he gets paid to? Is God really that interested in healing my story and giving me grace and redemption? And Paul says, with well, a resounding yes, yes, Amen. I want to be for you. Would you come?
My door is wide open. We'll worry about the labels and the other religious things that religious care, people care about later. But, but I just want you to come. Just come and be with me. My friend married a beautiful man, has a great marriage, two beautiful boys, and a thriving ministry. And if he did it for her, he can do it for you. Let's pray. Lord, admittedly, there's, um, there's a lot of pain uh, in this room, in Salem, the world, that honestly, uh, I think is sometimes in the Christian world, we just say really odd things, and uh, they don't really help us in our pain. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you'd be me with my friends here that don't believe that you're the door, that don't believe you're the entry point, that don't believe that you're our protection, that don't believe that you're ultimate freedom with life in God. God, you are overwhelmingly for us. You want to give us hope every single day. You want us to share that hope with our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors. And this is not about religion or church attendance. This is about life and death, life transformation. That people in Salem and the surrounding areas are asking big questions. May we be the kinds of people that engage those people. And for my friends that are hurrying, may they find rest. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.